the Vatican has announced the impending canonization of John Paul I, the Pope who reigned only 33 days. And it was very interesting because we had previously on our show Father Charles Murr, the author of a book called Murder in the 33rd Degree. The murder and the sort of Freemasonic connection to that murder talks about the murder of that same Pope, John Paul I. We're going to get into that on this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Father Murr, welcome back to the program. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Father, if you wouldn't mind launching us off with our sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Seed of wisdom, pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen. Amen. So, Father, um, this is sort of providential. Here you have a book out called Murder in the 33rd Degree uh, about the potential murder or evidence for the murder of John Paul I. Now he's announced that uh, he's going to be canonized. Very, very interesting. On our last program, we talked about the evidence for Freemasonry inside the Vatican. Totally fascinating. Many, many people responding, very interested in it, hoping to hear more from you. And uh, what a providential thing to have you back on. So, Father, if you can get into that a little bit about John Paul I, who was he, and this, your, your, your book about his being murdered. Um, yes, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best place to begin. And I guess the best place to begin would be his election as Pope. And as I was telling you before, and I've said in other broadcasts, uh, the conclave after the death of Pope Paul VI, the conclave uh, had three major candidates in it. Actually, yes, three major candidates. One was uh, uh, Cardinal Siri of Genoa. The other one was Cardinal Sebastian Baggio of the Congregation for Bishops, who was accused of being a Freemason and was ousted from his place of office, who was in charge of naming all of the Catholic bishops throughout the world, right? And the other one, the other was uh, Giovanni Benelli, Cardinal of Florence. And the, the conclave really came down to those three. Siri held a block of votes and he was a very popular candidate. Cardinal Siri was a brilliant man, uh, a statesman also, uh, just, just a very well-read and a good theologian. And uh, he was the conservative favorite. He was also the favorite of, of Pius XII, Pope Pius XII. He was, I think he's, he was the youngest cardinal that Pius XII had created, I believe. And uh, he, Pius XII would have loved to have seen him become Pope, although he didn't do anything to make that happen other than making him a cardinal. Anyway, it was between these three men. So you've got the, the, the conservative, Siri. You've got the Freemason, Baggio. 
And you have Benelli, who I would certainly call a conservative, uh, quiet, a quiet one, sort of a bull. He made things happen, but he did so quietly, but very determined. Anyway, as, as the election proceeded and Cardinal Bodger was picking up votes uh, and Siri did not budge, Benelli realized that rather than risking anything, uh, he saw that he wasn't going to win. He himself came very close to it, just a few votes away from it. He, uh, as I say, pulled a, a rabbit out of his hat and presented for all the Cardinals' consideration, Cardinal uh, Luciani, Cardinal Luciani of, of Venice, the Patriarch of Venice. And Luciani won. He was a fantastic candidate, accepted by everybody. Uh, everyone loved him, and they really loved him. He was, he was an appreciated man. He was head of the, the Episcopal, the Italian Episcopal Conference, I think two years. Uh, a sharp man, very pious, very holy, uh, beautiful smile because he was a beautiful and happy person. He just was, and he alluded that. Anyway, he became Pope, took the name John Paul in uh, Thanksgiving to Pope John the 23rd and Paul the sixth, obviously. And uh, he did something else. And this is leading up to, to, this actually does make sense and we're going in the right direction, right? He asked, after he became Pope, he was elected, he asked Cardinal Benelli of Florence to be his Secretary of State. Wise move, a very wise move, and a move that almost every Pope throughout history has done. When you become Pope, just like when you become president, you, when you become uh, president or king, what, what have you, in anything of government, you get the people that you've learned to trust in your, in your lifetime and you keep them close and you listen to them and they become your advisors and you're really taking into consideration their opinions, their opinions count. Uh, Papa Luciani, uh, John Paul I, respected Benelli and he knew that he needed a man like Benelli. But I think the last time we talked, I mentioned, uh, I, I mentioned Pope Pius X and his relationship to Cardinal Ralph Meri del Val. He asked Ralph Meri del Val, who was a, an incredibly sophisticated and well-educated man, brilliant, and a brilliant statesman and diplomat, to become his Secretary of State. And Pius X was a, a magnificent man, but he never stopped being a farmer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he, he, he himself said, I said this the last time we were there. He still had dirt under his fingernails when he was elected pope. Was, that's that's the kind of man. So he realized that he didn't have what it what it took to run the Roman Curia and to run the Church Universal. He needed someone. But with Ralph Medieval, they made a fantastic pair. They made a fantastic pair, and the pontificate was brilliant. And it was the war of, against modernism that that we know. We know where we're at, where we're at today, and how how needed that was, and still is, by the way. Anyway, John Paul I realized, just like Pius X, that he needed a strong man, and Benelli was asked to be his Secretary of State, and Benelli accepted under one condition: 
And that condition was that John Paul I, in one of his first major moves as Pope, replace, get rid of the prefect for the Congregation of Bishops, Cardinal Sebastian Baggio. From what I heard, I heard it from very good sources, the Pope, who was rather shy, John Paul I, asked Benelli to do that. He said, when, when you're Secretary of State, could you take care of that? That's, that's what you should do. And Benelli absolutely refused. He said, no, that's up to you. You have to do that. You have to do that as Pope. You have to do that because that's going to set, uh, uh, it's going to set a spirit. It's going to set a, an, a, a way of governing and people will understand who you are and what direction you're going in. Well, very nervously, <clears throat> Pope John Paul I uh, summoned Cardinal Baggio. Before he did that, uh, Cardinal Benelli, you would wonder, let me just back up a little bit, you would wonder why if, if Pope John Paul I asked Benelli to be his Secretary of State, why Benelli was not his Secretary of State right away. And that's a very, uh, here's the answer to that. Cardinal Vilo, of, of unpleasant memory, pardon me, but he, he, I, I thought he was an unpleasant person, uh, and that's putting it lightly, but Cardinal Vilo uh, was dying of cancer. He had, he had lung cancer. He smoked Galois cigarettes. You, when you would go near his office, you, before you, within 50 feet, you, you knew where you were. You knew where he was anytime. Was, they were horrible. They're, anyway, uh, he had lung cancer. And rather than, as an act of charity, as an act of charity, rather than uh, dismiss him and say, thank you very much, now go die, John Paul I decided not to do that. He would let him function as Secretary of State as long as he could hold on to that position. Uh, the long and the short of it, he, he died, I think, three months, three, three months later, right? So it was an act of charity to keep him. It was not one of the smartest moves. It was not one of the smartest acts of charity. Let me put it that way. Um, because it would have been good to have Benelli there. But anyway, uh, John Paul I talked to Benelli. Benelli told John Paul I to get in contact, to call in immediately Gagnon, Archbishop Gagnon. <clears throat> Why? He said, Holy Father, uh, Archbishop Gagnon, it was Archbishop at that time, just completed a three-year study on the Roman Curia. He tried to give the results to Pope Paul VI, who pushed them back in his direction and said he was unable because of age and weakness to deal with the problems of the Roman Curia. He said, leave that for my successor. He said, Holy Father, you are the successor. He said, and I would, I would, I would very highly recommend that you speak to Gagnon immediately. Well, he did. I drove Gagnon to that audience. We went through, Gagnon took the study, his three-year study, and saw John Paul I, gave him a copy of that. How do I know that? Because when he came back, I took his book bag, and it was much lighter. 
than when he went in. And Gagnon was elated. He was, he was very, very happy, very pleased at the audience. Uh, very pleased because he knew that this was a good man as Pope. It was his first, I think it was his first uh, audience with him as Pope. And uh, he told him what was wrong with the Roman Curia. He told him, he told him a few basic things that I know for sure because, because I know them from Gagnon. He told him, first of all, of Cardinal Baggio. And I've told this, I told this to you before. We had a Freemason naming our bishops for 12 years throughout the Catholic world. At a time when all the bishops in the world who were already established had to retire at 65. So a whole brand new crew was made by Baggio. In other words, you have a liberal, isn't the word, Freemason deciding who the bishops were in the world. Am I saying that all of the bishops were Freemasons? No, I'm not. I'm saying that. But most of them were very liberal. All right. And were, you said they were retiring at 65? I'm sorry, 75. 75. Did I say 65? Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's uh, fine. 75. Uh, 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 a proclamation came out from Paul VI. He decided that that every bishop should re retire at 75. Mm -hmm. A lot of your viewers are, are, are young people. They're certainly younger than I am, right? Uh, you're a boy, so <laughs> that's how old I am. You're a boy. But uh, here's the thing. In the olden days, bishops didn't retire. Popes didn't retire. We had bishops in dioceses who were in their 80s and who were in their 90s. Uh, they didn't retire. Even if they became feeble and feeble-minded, even in that case, they remained. They had people, they had secretaries, monsignori, et cetera, that, who helped run the diocese. But the bishop didn't resign. It, he was a Christ figure. Christ didn't resign. It's that. Well, anyway, with the, with the resignation of all of the bishops at age 75, we had a whole new crew of bishops to be done, and we have a Freemason naming all of the bishops, right? You can imagine, well, you don't have to imagine. I invite most of your listeners know this anyway, just to take a look back, just to take a look back, and you'll understand how in a great, in, to, great uh, to a great degree we are and got where we are today, right? Anyway, getting back to the, to the story. Gagnon went to go see John Paul I, gave him a copy of his study. And with that, he told him there were three major problems. One of them was Cardinal Baggio. The other one was the Vatican Bank, the Instituto per le Affari Religiose, right? Um, that there was, there was a scandal brewing. And, and this is, you know, for people who think that the that the, the Freemasonry uh, ideal or idea is uh, a fantasy, is a conspiracy, that we should all be wearing tinfoiled hats and, and pyramids or something because we think this way, I invite those people to simply look back and what, to see what happened at the Vatican Bank. The Freemasons, uh, P, P2, Freemason Lodge, Freemasonry Lodge, the Grand Lodge, decided to wage war on the Vatican and collapse its finances. And it did. It did. It's incredible. It did. The people who were convicted by international court of these crimes, the ones who didn't commit suicide, who didn't kill or be killed, it was a horrible scandal, a slew of murders. Those who survived were put in prison 
for the crime of a Freemason plot to, to topple the Vatican. That was the crime. Freemasonry was named in the crime. All right, so we're, we're, I'm not making this up or, or you're not making it up and we're, we're saying no, no, no. No, it's, it's black and white. It's there. It's a conviction. Anyway, Gagnon told him that and Gagnon also uh, told him a few other things of things that had to be changed. People who were, who should not be there. The Pope listened, again conferred with Benelli. Benelli said, call in Baggio and get rid of Baggio. Uh, how, how? <laughs> you've got this poor timid man. If you've ever listened to him, I was at a few of his audiences. He was just a beautiful, a beautiful man who I, I really think that he would have been he would have been much happier not, not accepting the position of Pope. Really would have, really would have. He, would, he was a pastor. He was just a pastor, and he would have been fine in a country church. I'm serious. Anyway, there he is, Pope. And between Benelli's suggestions and his own intuition, Benelli said, well, get him out, kick him out. You have to kick these people up. A lot of people don't understand that. You don't just get them out, like with, with Bunini. You don't just expel them. They hold a lot of key information, and they hold a lot of potential of blackmailing. <laughs> Cardinal Baggio, for example, in Congregation of Bishops, knew every bishop's foibles, every one of them. Uh, he, he also, you, you've got something else to remember, he created, he, he made uh, uh, John Paul I Archbishop of Venice. So he felt entitled and owed. Anyway, the long and the short of it was, he called in, he called Baggio. Personally, on the phone. What day did he die? I believe it was, I've got it written down, the 28th of September. He died. So on the 28th of September, he phoned Baggio and asked him to come to, to the Apostolic Palace, to his office, for a meeting. Baggio told the Holy Father that he was busy. Now, I don't know about you. I do know about you. <laughs> if the Pope would pick up the phone and say, John Henry, I want to see you in my office right away, you would drop anything you had going and you would be there. Baja was busy. He said, well, this afternoon, he said, Holy Father, I'm busy this afternoon. He said, this evening. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't let up. He said, this evening. Well, they finally agreed on this evening. The Pope never receives people in the evening. It's during business office hours during a business day. He received him at approximately 8 o'clock at night in the apostolic in the Apostolic Palace. And let me just say this, if I can make a parenthesis. From what I can find out about the process of the canonization or beatification of John Paul I, which is coming up in September, there's no mention of this meeting. Hmm. This is the last, this is the, the Pope's last day on earth. As a matter of fact, these are the Holy Father's last hours on earth. There's no mention of Baggio meeting with him. Hmm. 
right? At eight o'clock, Bajo went up to the to the to the Holy Father's residence in the Apostolic Palace, and uh, was with him for approximately an hour. And there was shouting. Not the Pope. The Pope was not shouting. Bajo was shouting at the Pope. Hmm. How do we know that? I happen to know it. Uh, I happen to know it by a sw- through a Swiss guard who was at the, at the outside of the door. There were two Swiss guards there. They reported this, right? That shouting. Bajo left furious after an hour. Uh, the Pope, who had a, a bad heart, was taking uh, blood pressure medicine. I believe because of that encounter, suffered a heart attack two or three hours later and died. Now you say, well, that's not really a murder. I asked Cardinal Gagnon, I asked Cardinal Gagnon, did did he think that the Pope was murdered? And he said, you know, if you remember, you remember Gagnon, do you remember, did you meet him? I want to say, I love this man. He said, you know, Charles, there are many ways of killing a man. I believe that's what happened. I believe he, that's, that's the murder. That's the murder that I'm talking about. But it certainly was, it happened. The shouting was real. The Pope was very agitated and died of a heart attack that night. I don't believe he was poisoned. That's nonsense. But I'm going to tell you something else I don't believe. And I didn't believe it right from the beginning, and neither did Gagnon. I was with Gagnon the morning that the Pope, that was, we found out about his death at about 7.30 in the morning on Vatican Radio. And, and Marini, with the three of us were sitting, we're still in pajamas. <laughs> we, were, we, we heard the news on Vatican Radio. I went to, the, to their rooms and knocked on their doors because we couldn't believe it. Just couldn't believe it. We had just gone through the election. And the, I don't know where the report came that the, that the Holy Father had died. You've got to listen to this. Who could, who could make this up? I mean, you couldn't make it up. He died in his bed with his glasses on, with the most serene, lovely smile, reading the imitation of Christ. Gagnon said, if you want to believe that, you go right ahead. You go right ahead. And Marini said, the Marini said the the Italian equivalent to poppycock. (laughs) Nonsense. And they were right, because within days, Cardinal Villo, Secretary of State, and the Vatican, the people who were running the show, changed the story a few times. And it turned out, and it turned out he was not reading the, the imitation of Christ. The Pope was a very pious man, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, and, uh, and he wasn't he wasn't reading, he wasn't reading Time magazine either. Right? <laughs> he died with a list, he died with a list that I believe can't prove this, okay? But I believe that the, the very list that Gagnon gave him of changes necessary in the Curia. He died with, with two or three sheets of paper in his hands of changes in the Roman Curia. That's how, that's how they, right? Uh, they, they kept changing the story, changing the story. Well, there's also the next day after his death, 
Let me just ask you, John Henry, here you are. You had an audience last night with the Pope. This morning, he's dead, John Henry. All right? I come and approach you from Vatican Radio, and I have a microphone, and I say to you, John Henry West, can you please tell us your opinion of this, uh, your, your reaction to the death of the Holy Father? They asked that to Baggio. Now, Baggio, rather than saying, oh, good Lord, I was just with him last night. He looked fine. Of the Baggio said two words in Italian. Ma, three words. The, the Italians are fond of putting in a ma. Ma che colpo. What a blow. What a blow. That's all. That, that was end of interview. They interviewed other people. Other, other cardinals who said, well, I was with him last week, and he looked fine, and this other the Baggio had nothing more to say than, what a blow. Que colpo, que It was a tragedy. It was a tragedy, but it gave Baggio another opportunity to have another conclave. And now they knew what they were up against. They knew very well what Benelli would, would they thought they did anyway what Benelli would do. And uh, in the next conclave, Benelli didn't waste any time. He immediately pulled out of his hat another white rabbit, <laughs> Carl Wojtyla. That was Benelli. For your, your viewers' information, let me, let me just say this because I'll forget. The only place that I saw a report of the meeting between the Holy Father, John Paul I, and Cardinal Baggio, Sebastian Baggio, was in Time Magazine. But it's, it's remarkable, only Time Magazine. And I had the chance through, through Father John Navone, who was a great friend of mine and a professor at the Gregorian University. We became great friends in life. Navone knew everybody. Uh, Felici, Federici, Federici, Fellini, uh, 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 this one, that one. He was in with everything. He knew very well the the uh the time correspondent uh, in in Rome they were they were as a matter of fact the time correspondent in Rome got a lot of his information from John Navoni the Jesuit from the Gregorian University right he was there for 45 years teaching so he was a he was a good source uh John Navoni uh knew from him that it had already been reported about this meeting and he also knew that it was never to be mentioned again and it was never mentioned in any other articles in Time or Newsweek or anything. Those for your for your viewers again, the ones who are younger, Time and Newsweek used to be the secular Bible for 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 many of us if we wanted to find out what was happening in the world. Unfortunately, many of us took our religious opinions off of Time and Newsweek, and uh, that didn't uh, that wasn't a big help to us, but <laughs> unfortunately. But anyway, the uh, it was never again reported. Only that one time. That that's how he died. That's how he died. Uh, and, and let me let me just finish that story about Benelli. John Paul II is now elected. Wojtyla is elected. Wojtyla took the second in command for his Secretary of State, uh, Agostino Casaroli which was kind of surprising 
because people thought it was going to be Benelli. Well, he 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 stayed with with uh, Casaroli for a couple of years. He owed Casaroli. Okay, Casaroli helped with an awful lot of money for Poland. Good. This I mean, this is a good thing. This isn't scandalous. They're talking about building churches, schools, convents, that, that kind of money for for real real issues. Uh, so, and Casaroli was was uh, very important in that, and he was sort of second in in, in line and everything else. But there came a point about two years into his pontificate where John Paul II realized that Casaroli would be would be he would that he John Paul II would be better served by a different man, and he asked Benelli of Florence to leave Florence and come to be his secretary of state. Benelli agreed. I know this from Cardinal Gagnon and from Marini, who were great friends of Benelli. And I believe 10 days later was dead. At age 62, at age 62, he had a he had a massive heart attack. A man didn't have a heart problem. He had a heart attack and died. So that that, that took care of that. Uh, finally, finally, John Paul II called Gagnon for the same report. He wanted the report of the Roman Curia. And John Paul II decided he wasn't going to do anything. He was going, everything was just fine. I, I told you this before. He left, this, the status quo was just fine because he had a different vision. And if I sound critical, maybe it's because I am. But anyway, <laughs> he had a different vision of, 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 the, of his pontificate, of the papacy. He, he, he wanted to do it differently, and he did. He traveled the world. He traveled the world. And uh, I believe he touched an awful lot of, a lot of lives that would not have been touched. Uh, as one Austrian friend of mine said to me once, he said, he got everyone into St. Peter's Square, but never really managed to get them inside the basilica. It was, anyway, I thought that was a good, good analogy. But then, Anyway, we've got we've got this is the situation we're at. When when Cardinal Gagnon went and I drove him again to his audience with John Paul II to give this report, he said, No, no, everything is fine, everything is fine. Uh, he didn't believe a lot of things, John Paul II. And I'll tell you why. And Cardinal Gagnon was was also a, a, later on a defender of his. And the, John Paul II grew up in communist Poland. He lived through the Nazis, and then he lived through through the communists. God help him. I mean, incredible. Disinformation was the word of 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 the Marxists. It still is. It still is. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but disinformation is really this is their modus operandi. This is it. Just keep saying this. Keep saying that the narrative has to. If the narrative has to change, we control the narrative. Well, they did this terribly in Poland. To any number of priests and bishops, uh, nuns, and anybody who got in their way, there was a disinformation campaign against them. And all the clergy knew that these things were not true. They knew that they knew that Father so and so and Bishop so and so didn't didn't murder somebody, didn't steal all of the money and run away. All of these things that they created. So he had a hard time, John Paul II really believing that there were people as corrupt as evidently there were. 
so I don't hold that again. I don't hold that against them at all. That's right? been heard frequently that a lot of the allegations of sexual abuse and things like that, John Paul II just just couldn't believe because of that background under both the Nazis and the communists uh, well, maligning Cardinal, priests falsely. Cardinal, Cardinal Gagnon believed that. Mm-hmm. He believed that of him. He, he, he really did. Because he said he was very sincere when I would tell him these things. Well, no, no, no. He didn't buy it. And in that audience, and I'm waiting in, in uh, the Cortile San Damaso in, in Gagnon's car, waiting for him to finish his audience with the Pope to take him back home. In that audience, Cardinal Gagnon said, not only do you have a Freemason running the Congregation for Bishops, and I have the documentation, Holy Father. This, is, this isn't my opinion. It's well documented. I'm not coming here with, with hearsay. Not only is the Vatican Bank ready to explode in a major scandal organized by Freemasons, I also have the documentation for that. Your life, Holy Father, is in jeopardy. And the, Gagnon told me this himself. He said, the Pope said, my life. He said, he said Archbishop Gagnon, Excellency, who would want to kill the Pope? <laughs> Truly. And Gagnon said, I just looked at him. I said, wow. <laughs> what do you say? How do you answer that? <laughs> but that's the way he was. God bless him. And I'll tell you something. I'm not crazy about all of these canonizations that, that Papa Bergoglio is doing because I know why he's doing them. I know what's behind it to push Vatican II. I understand that. But I believe that all of the people that he's canonized are going to are in heaven. I'm not, I'm not I, I don't disagree with that one. I believe they're in heaven. I really do believe that. Uh, I don't like the reason they're being canonized. I don't like the politics behind it. However, when John Paul II, when John Paul II, the assassination attempt to take his life came, it was from where Gagnon told him it would be. He said it's from behind, it'll be behind the Iron Curtain uh, from, a, from, a, from somebody who has nothing to do with you at all. Nothing to do with you at all. Zero. And it was, it was a Bulgarian, a, a Bulgarian plot by, by Moscow, by, 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 by the communists, to end his life. <laughs> Can I tell you this? Do I have enough time to tell you another story? Oh, by all means. <laughs> I wanted to just stress how important that is because it, it pertains to today that this piece of the puzzle, the last official meeting that Pope John Paul I has, the day of his death is covered up right from the beginning. There's this evidence that we already showed you in the time article, but that's it. Then it's scrubbed. And so it's incredible that even back then when it wasn't so much noticed, you had kind of a control of the media and it maintains to this day. And I don't think for the powers that be in the Vatican, this is, you know, unknown, well, perhaps for some of them it is, but it, they are maintaining in continuing to conceal that meeting. They're maintaining that secrecy for whatever reason. This is 
more evidence of not only Freemasonry in the Vatican, but of the continuing influence of Freemasonry in the Vatican as well. Please go ahead, Father. You're absolutely right. And and from from just a cursory uh, investigation that I've done of the canonization or the the beatification process of John Paul I, again, no doubt the man is uh, in heaven. Okay, that's not the point. There's no mention of of. <laughs> Of, of, of his last hours. And Cardinal Sebastian Vajra was a major part of his last hours. Not there. I'm saying, well, who's doing the investigation? Who did this investigation? Why isn't that a, I, my goodness. If I just had a meeting with you and, 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 and died a few hours later, my relatives would want to talk to you. Geez, what did he have to say? Did, was he happy? Did, did, he, did he say anything about me? Yeah, something. Not mentioned, not mentioned. When John Paul II, I've told this story, and it's, it, I, I know it from Gagnon himself. I know it from Gagnon, and I know it from Marini, and they knew it from, from uh, they knew it from all, all sorts of different sources. But after that meeting that Gagnon had with John Paul II, where John Paul II said, no, everything remains the same, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, it's okay. But in including Bajo. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. everything is okay. He, ju he just didn't buy it. Gagnon picked up his suitcase or his satchel, not his suitcase, his, his, uh, his satchel, took his things, went back down to Cortilla San Damaso. I was waiting at his car and I could see when he got off the elevator. <laughs> I could see this did not go well. This did not go well. I got in the car and he didn't say anything. Hmm. And I knew it didn't go well. I don't remember, to tell you the truth, and I'm try I, was, I, I was trying to remember this, and I'm trying to remember as well as I possibly can, because whether you believe it or not, or whether anybody believes it or not, I wanted to write this book because I want this out. I want this. I want this stated because we have a pontificate right now talking about transparency 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 we want to be we want to be right up front with all the folks really release the gagnon report mm -hmm. holy father release the gagnon report you have it it's in the vatican archives you have it release it yeah they have a lot of different reports now um, you know, the report of the three cardinals that was asked for uh, by Pope Benedict. It was delivered, handed on, as we know, to Pope Francis, also not revealed. And for most of our fans at LifeSite, the explanation of the third secret of Fatima, not the vision, the vision we all got, but the explanation also uh, is still being held. So there's lots of non-transparency in the midst of all this talk about transparency. Well, anyway, the, let me let me just let me just say this, as Richard Nixon used to say. Let me say this about that. Uh, I drove Gagnon home, back to our home. After a few minutes, he spoke, but he was furious, beat red, angry, and he said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I said, "Excellency, whatever you want." I'm, I'm writing a thesis at the Gregorian University. I did have a life, right? But I said, 
whatever whatever you want me to do. I love this man. I'm telling you, he, he was just a saint, a practical saint, uh, uh, like somewhere between a, a god, uh, somewhere between a father and a, and a grandfather. He just, and he knew what he was talking about, and he was serious. He said, "I want you to take me to the airport." I said, "To the airport? You're going on a trip?" He said, "I'm leaving Rome." I said, you're leaving Rome, for, what, for vacation? Where you going? No, I'm leaving Rome. I'm resigning. I, I, I can't deal with this anymore. It's, it's <laughs> enough. Now, for a man like this, he was Gibraltar, believe me. I, I keep telling people, even, even, even the, his physique, there wasn't an ounce of fat on the man. It was muscle. And he was strong. And he had a, a handshake, like, like a grip. He said, I, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. I, I, can't, I, I can't watch it. I can't watch it un, unravel and happen. I know what's going to happen. I can't see it. I'm trying to talk him out of resigning. I said, Who am I? I? I'm ordained a priest like six months. <laughs> and I'm telling him, you know, why don't you think this over? <laughs> anyway, the next day, the next day, uh, we got in the car. And he was, I, 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 I use this often. Remember Going My Way, the movie? I don't. No, you don't? You, no. you oh, my, don't, please don't <laughs> tell me you haven't seen it. Don't tell me you haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. John Henry. All right. All right. Next, before the, the next time we speak, between now and the next time we speak, you have to see Going My Way. Bing Crosby. <laughs> okay. And Barry, Fitz, Barry Fitzgerald. Barry Fitzgerald. Anyway. At the last scene, Bing Crosby, I'm gonna ruin this for you, all right? Bing Crosby walks away, his mission is done. He walks away and he's got one suitcase, an old black suitcase, and that's it. He walks into the, you know, sort of, was at midnight that he left or something in the night, but it's like into the sunset kind of thing, and that was the end of the movie. Gagnon packed up all of his possessions, in one suitcase, hmm. that was it. And uh, he had some books that he asked me to to mail. I could mail them into the, but that was it. And he went. Uh, he, he was going home. He wanted to go to. He wanted to go back to Colombia. He loved Colombia. He loved the missions, and he loved going into into uh, jungles and into small rural areas to preach uh, about the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Can you imagine? This, I mean, this is this is a priest. This is a man. This is a man in love with his vocation, and he has to deal with all this garbage. For three years, he saw. Believe me, he saw the worst. The worst you can see. And then, to present it to the to present pontiff, who decides, I'm not going to deal with that. Anyway, he wanted to go back to Colombia, and that's it. So, we get into the car the next day. Got a ticket. Got his ticket, and, and he, I, I didn't really believe he was serious. And he was serious. We got into the car, and he said, "Before you take me to Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci Airport for the flight," he said, "We have time." He said, "I want you to pass by the Vatican again to the Secretary of State." And I said, "Sure." He said, "I have a I have a letter for for uh, I have a letter for Cardinal Villo of my resignation." He said, "I think I owe him that." 
must be fine. We drove again into, into the Vatican around St. Peter's Basilica and into Cortile San Damaso. And as soon as I parked the car in the Cortile, he handed me the letter. He said, you take it up, won't you? I said, take it up? Take the letter up to whom? He said, to Cardinal Below. I said, I said, Excellency, I can't take your resignation letter up to Cardinal Below. Are you kidding me? He said, do that, would you? He said, do that for me. Well, I, 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 and anyway, I did. I did. I wasn't dressed for it. I wasn't anything for it. And I certainly wasn't, I didn't know what I would say, what I would do. Got up to the Secretary of State, and I said to, uh, you can see the sort of a chubby little man. He, he had been there for 300 years in the same position uh, as, a, as the, uh, the greeter or whatever. He was a controller. He knew who was going where, and then he would sell information to who was where, what was what. Anyway, I said, this, this is a letter for, for, for Cardinal Villot, Secretary of State. It's from His Excellency, Edouard Gagnon. I said, all right. I said, well, you'll see that he gets this. And yes, he stood up and went back to the office. They have like sort of cubicles there. And all of a sudden, <laughs> with that with that woof of Galois cigarettes, out, out from behind the, the curtain, a literal curtain, uh, appeared below, quite angry, quite angry. I guess he had just read enough of the letter. He said to me, this is, this is you, want, you want clericalism? This is clericalism. You tell that man to get up here. I, I said, excuse me? He said, you tell Gagnon, where is he? I said, he's down in the quartile, he's in the car. Did you go down right now and you tell him to, to come up here? I said, are you asking me? Do you want me to do you a favor? Or, or is that a command? Uh, I said, I don't work for you. Right now, I said, he won't come up. I said, why don't you come down? <laughs> the look, <laughs> it was just, it, I'm saying, it was almost a figurative question. Why don't you come down right, from where you are and on those lofty heights, right? Absolutely not. I said, well, that's it. I walked down, got back in the elevator. Gagnon said, how did he take it? I started laughing. I said, oh, quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I drove him to the airport. A beautiful, beautiful conversation all the way around. And uh, that was it. He got on a plane and left. When John Paul II was shot, in an assassination attempt, it was said that while he was in the hospital, he, he almost died, you know that. The Pope almost died. But you don't know what he almost died of. This <laughs> is remarkable. He did not almost die of the bullet wounds. He died of, almost died of hepatitis. Because they gave him, they gave him bad blood. They gave him contaminated blood at the Jamelli Hospital. Right. I know that because Kevin Cahill, Dr. Kevin Cahill of New York, a specialist in tropical diseases, and I know that because he took care of some of my kids from the orphanage in Mexico, free 
I, I brought them up to him because they, no one could help him, but Cahill did, and he was a wonderful man. Cahill uh, was flown over on a private jet by Cardinal O'Connor, asked him as a favor to go over to Rome to intervene. Cahill got there and stayed with the Pope until he came out of coma with the hepatitis. He was there and saved his life. But when the Holy Father, when the Holy Father really came to, and 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 nobody knows how close he was to death. He really seriously was close to death. It is said, I wasn't there, all right? But it is said that that the Holy Father turned to the man closest to him, who was Jibne, Stanislav Jibne. And he said, Find Gagnon. Hmm. And they did. They went looking for Gagnon, and they found him. And the Holy Father said, you tell Archbishop Gagnon that the Holy Father wants him back in Rome. Please come. Gagnon was on, as soon as he got the news, it took some, it took a little while to find him. When they found him, he got on a plane, came, went back to Rome. The Holy Father made him, <laughs> he talked to the, to the Pope. He said, Holy Father, I'll come back and work for you. You've got a promise to get rid of Baggio from the Congregation of Bishops. You have to promise that. Okay. If that's the condition to getting you back, okay. We got him back. He made him a cardinal, made Gagnon a cardinal. It took him almost two years from that promised to get rid of Baggio, to get rid of Baggio. almost two years 1984 he finally got rid of Baggio. and he put him in charge of stamps the Vatican the Vatican post office at stamps a man from the congregation of bishops was now in, in charge of two cent stamps or five lira or whatever the hell it was but anyway it was that was that was the end of Baggio. and uh, uh you see what you don't do is is throw these people far away even John Paul I, when he proposed to, to give Venice to Baggio, to get him out of the congregation for bishops, the reason somebody said, well, why would you give him Venice? My God, the man is a dastard, a walking dastardly plot. He's a, he's a, because John Paul I had people in Venice who knew and loved him who would watch over everything that the man ever did. Again, in his life, he would be controlled. So it wasn't it wasn't a danger. They would have he would they would have the right people there as auxiliary bishops and bishop and people he couldn't Bajor couldn't get rid of. They were there to take care of it. We had a few popes do that in life. There was one pope. I think it I, I, it, it might have been Pius X. It might have been Pius X. If it wasn't, it was Pius XI. He had two cardinals who were dastardly, and he would never give them any assignment other than to be present at every pontifical ceremony. And they walked right in front of the Pope in procession. And somebody said, why do you keep these people so close? And he said, are you kidding? Why do I keep them close? You always keep your enemies close. I want to see every move they make, right? <laughs> he knew what they were up to, right? Now, that, all of that said, oh, let me just, let me just say this too. Uh, please help me with the young lady's name. She wrote a great book, uh, uh, the, the St. Gallen Mafia. 
Uh, uh, is it Julie? Oh, yes. Maloney? Julie Maloney. Julia Maloney. Julie Maloney. Great book. Great book. Uh, she exposes a lot. She did great research. Uh, one thing that she failed to mention in that book was Martini. Uh, uh, I, I keep remembering. You know, you know you, you're, you're, you're old enough to remember W.C. Fields. You know mm -hmm. W.C. Fields? You're, you yeah. do. Well, that's good. <laughs> You don't know Bing Crosby going my way, for goodness sake. Come on. Well, I, I know of Bing Crosby, but going my way to never All right, all right. Well, I'm, I'm just giving you a heart. You know that. But uh, uh, anyway, one, of, one of W.C. Fields' favorite expressions was, oh, drat. Right? And another one was, Godfrey Daniels. That was one of his expressions. Well, I love that we had a cardinal from Belgium by the name of God, God, Godfrey Daniels <laughs> was a cardinal. Right. Those people that she mentions in the Sangalan Mafia, all of them were made bishops by Sebastian Cardinal Baggio. Okay, all of them, all of them. I, I, I double-checked that. I double-checked that. Yeah, it, it is amazing. And, and this is what, this is where we, we've been going. We're still living with the effects of that. We're still living with the effects of that, right? It, and it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, because they're um, a perpetuating effect as well. Because yes. then those bad bishops can you know it. name other, get others named, and it's terrible. You know it. Yes. Uh, yes. We want, I want, we have the same thing of another famous, or I should say infamous cardinal in, in, from Washington, D.C., also made a bishop by Cardinal Bodge. Right? Wow. So this is, this is what we're, this is what we're, we're still dealing with. We're still dealing with, and uh, people ask why are why is there confusion with the faith, doctrine of the faith, dogmas that we we hold dear as why is there why is everything is questioned why is there why can't you go to two Catholic masses that are the same why can't why can't you do that I, I thought it was great years ago when I read Ratzinger. I shouldn't call him Ratzinger, Pope Benedict. <laughs> it's, he said, uh, I, he said something to the effect, and I thought, this is banally profound. <laughs> he said something to the effect that every Catholic has the right to walk into a Catholic church and be able to identify the, the Mass as the Catholic Mass. <laughs> that's, you, you, that's one of your rights as being baptized a Catholic. You have that right to be able to identify a Mass, right? Because yeah. some of the masses are unbelievably all over the place. You know that. You know that. Yeah. I, as a priest traveling, I've stopped in to, to make a visit in, in different cathedrals, sanctuaries, some private prayer time, and mass will begin. I, I, I walk out during, the, during the, the sermon, the homily. It's just, I can't, I can't stomach it. I know it's ridiculous. It's bizarre. All of this confusion is because of a whole slew of bishops who were named who were incorrectly, as far as I'm concerned, incorrectly took their positions. Uh, it, it's, it's sad that that's where we're at. And, and I, would, I would add just one other thing too, and then I'll shut up, I promise, right? But uh, I want your listeners to know this too. The, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting it, I'm forgetting it. 
I just slipped my mind. It'll come back. But the, uh, oh my goodness, isn't that terrible? To be? Don't get old. John Henry, don't, don't do it. Just don't do it. It's, it's no fun. Uh, my, my grandfather, my grandfather said when, when we were growing, growing up and he was getting older, he said, growing old isn't for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I'm forgetting where I'm going, but uh, there, there's, there's a lot of work to be done in the church. And just so that we don't end on, on, a, on a pejorative note and a negative one of that, uh, people ask, I, I've gotten some letters from, from the last time I was on your show, I got, I've gotten really, I, I, I was amazed, very, very beautiful letters. Uh, I'm sure there are a number of people who don't like me <laughs> because of things that I've said, but uh, I haven't gotten any of those yet, so that's good. But the, the, they've been very, they've been very positive, but many of them asked, well, you know all of these horrible things, why do you keep smiling? Why are you happy? You seem to be happy. And I, 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 I simply say this, and I, I don't mean to sound flippant, but I've read to the end of the book, we win. Absolutely. We win. We win. It's, it's just, it's this muck and, and, and this quagmire that we're in right now, this, ah, this kind of thing. It's a bad place, but I don't lose hope. My faith is, is, is intact. I try to teach it to as many people as I can. People are amazed to learn their faith. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. They're amazed to learn their faith. You're ta I'm talking to adults who know they have no concept of anything, yeah. anything. Uh, we, look, we had, I was pastor of Our Lady of Guadalupe Church in, in Manhattan. Uh, it, it got so crowded. Our church got so crowded. I was saying five masses every Sunday to a packed, not a packed church. We had speakers on 14th Street. Anybody can tell you that. Police were on 14th Street so that traffic would go around people. We didn't fit in the church. And the only reason that, that we were successful at that, I had a great deacon too, Deacon Renee, fantastic man. But the, the reason that we were successful is because we started teaching the Catholic faith. The first Sunday, the first Sunday that I was there as, as, as administrator, I should be, I should be clear. It wasn't a pastor that then I was made pastor of two others. Uh, but I said, we're going to start with nothing. Now, I've got all of these. Most of them were Mexicans and most of them were Mexican young men would come up illegally. They're working and everything else. They still came to our lady of Guadalupe. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? I, it, this is mind-boggling. One, one of the great revelations to many of these young men who were very devout was that Our Lady of Guadalupe, the parish was under her protection, was the same as Mary, the mother of Jesus. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, I said, well, the, what have you been coming for? <laughs> Excuse me. If you didn't know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mocking. If you didn't know that, what were you? Well, because I lead Guadalupe. I said, "Wow, wow." Anyway, the long and the, the short of it, we began with nothing. The first sermon that I gave, the first sermon that I gave to a, to packed masses, they were good people, great people. God, I love them. We started with, "There is no God." 
and I gave all of the reasons for which there is no God. I could see people's faces. I said, now, I'm going to give the rebuttal to this next week. Next <laughs> Sunday. Right? You come back next Sunday. And we just built from there. We went into Aquinas' five proofs for the existence of people were fascinated. Wow. They were just fascinated. It couldn't get enough. The church kept getting fuller and fuller. And I, it's not that I'm such a great personality and so so magnetic and so Mr. Wonderful or Father Wonderful or whatever the heck you want. It was that they had never heard their faith explained. We have Although I must say, Father, that was an amazing marketing ploy. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you think? But this, this, to have people get excited about their Catholic faith, and you know, and really, truly, and it was it was magnificent and grow. But we have now three, four generations of people who have not been taught their faith. They just, I, I, I don't understand why a lot of people even continue going to mass. I, I, I really mean that. I mean, I'm glad they do. And, and that's, please, I'm not saying don't go to mass. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't, they don't know anything that's happening there. And they haven't been taught and they haven't been you know, it's just amazing. And we could go on and on and on with abuses of, of liturgically and everything else. But I do know that at the end we win. And that's what makes me a happy camper. It, it fills me with hope. And I, it doesn't matter that I see it. Remember, the, remember those men who built those cathedrals? St. Peter's Basilica. St. Peter's Basilica took over 250 years to build. And when you stop to think of that, it means that the people who started it, who excavated from the from the old basilica, from uh, from Constantine's uh, uh, foundations, the people who started that, they didn't see. They didn't see ten or fifteen percent of the church built. The people who were born a hundred years into it didn't see the end. It didn't matter because they had faith and they knew what they were doing. They knew what was going to be done, and they were part of it. That's where I am today, and that's where I invite a lot of your, 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 your listeners to be. Continue, put a little bit of blinders onto the world and the nonsense, even the nonsense that's going on in the church, and walk straight. Just walk straight. Keep, keep straight. The Lord is straight ahead. Keep walking in that direction. Don't look right. Don't look left. Keep on. And at the end, you're going to be on the winning side. Just know that. So therefore, all of this kind of, a lot of this is that we're talking about today, kind of, it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. Uh, and I, 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 to tell you the truth, I was going to take this to my grave. Oh, we're so glad you and didn't. And I, I just, I, 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 I said, no, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And yeah. once again, I ask Pope Francis, in all humility, release Cardinal Gagnon's three-year investigation of the Roman Curia from 1975 to 1978. Just open it. Let us see. Because it's there. It's there. And one day they will. One day those files will be open. And it's what I'm what I'm saying actually happened. It's it's amazing. And I know from I know it from the sources. 
God bless them, all of them. All, they're all in heaven with God right now. I hope I'm doing well, Cardinal Gallon. I hope you're not uh, you're not upset. I don't think he is. I think he'd be he'd be happy. It's it's about. I think he'd say it's about time. Anyway, absolutely. That's it. He would for sure give you his blessing from heaven. And as we so. close, I'm going to ask you, Father, can you give us your blessing? Oh, a, a, a privilege and honor. Yes. May the blessing of Almighty God. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost descend upon you and all of your audience and viewers now and for all eternity. Amen. Amen. God bless you, John Father. Henry, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a joy. It's a joy to be on your program, and I, I hope I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, bored you, this whole windbag oh. here. Going on. That was awesome, Father. God bless you. You're great. Thank you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time.